To you alone belongs the highest praise. You have created all and you have sent your son to, to give us life, free us from our sin. And we thank you for all of your promises and your presence with us. We pray that our worship will be pleasing to you today and will help us to experience more and more of your love to us and give us grace to love one another. Thank you for being here with us in our worship this morning. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Just a couple of things uh, to highlight in the bulletin. If you're interested in uh, knowing more about membership in the church, we're having a class in the next couple of weeks. So if you want to let me know this week, if you are like to be a part of that, and uh, they'll be getting word out for the exact date of that. Uh, also, uh, we're in the uh, just beginning the, the season of Lent, and we'll be looking at uh, the uh, passages in Luke's Gospel that uh, talk about the last week of Jesus' life, uh, 19 through about 22. And uh, if you have opportunity to read through that, I would encourage you to do so. We're also participating in the community Bible experience. We're joining 
people around the world who are reading through the New Testament during the season of Lent. And so it started on Wednesday, but uh, you can still catch up if you haven't uh, started. There are uh, guides in the back with daily scripture readings. And uh, the uh, scriptures are not in the order that they're in your regular Bible, but they are a little bit more chronological. So they start with Luke and they go to Acts. And uh, I think it would be a, it's a great experience always to read the Word and to read it together uh, as well. So we encourage you to be a part of that. And then please note that this afternoon at 2.30, uh, there is a funeral service for Bonnie Zemanski. This will be held at, the, at Wesley Chapel on the college campus. Uh, there will be a visitation an hour beforehand. And uh, I know we are uh, praying for uh, Bonnie's family and uh, for us as a community as we come together this afternoon and uh, ask for God's grace in that moment and in the days ahead. I'm actually going to be reading from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 20. So this is the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 20. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, Or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, We are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh, where I first made a dwelling for my name, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people." While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you do not listen. I called you, but you do not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and to your fathers. I will will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your brothers, the people of Ephraim. So do not pray for these people, nor offer any plea of petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes of bread for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. But I am the one they are provoking, declares the Lord. Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, the ushers will come forward and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. 
The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. I'm so double-minded. A blank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open our eyes to the world at the end of our turn away and the stones fall from their hands help us to remember we are all the least of these let the memory of your mercy bring your people to your knees nobody knows what they're for only what we're against when we judge the wounded what if we put down our signs crossed over the lines and love like you did spend time praying together today if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers for yourself or for someone else please come and join me
Father, we come to this moment of prayer today in full confidence and faith that you hear us. We come today to acknowledge that you are the creator, you are sovereign over all, and you are good, so good. You are the very definition of what it means to be completely good. And so we offer our prayers to you in confidence that in your mercy and goodness and power, you will answer in the way that you know is best. We pray today, Father, for the burdens that are on our hearts. Things in our lives that are not what we wish they would be. We pray for healing, for comfort, for mercy and grace. We pray to know your presence helping us. We think especially this morning of Bonnie's family and friends and really us as a community. We pray for your peace and mercy upon us. We ask, Father, that you will be uh, clearly evident in the service this afternoon. We pray that you will bring healing. Father, we pray for relationships that are not what they ought to be. We pray for the physical needs that uh, we bring today. We pray for the needs, the struggles that we have emotionally, spiritually. And we thank you for hearing us and for being at work to heal beyond what we could dream or imagine. Father, we pray for this world. We think about the situation in the Ukraine. So many innocent people caught in the middle of violence and war, power struggles. Father, in your mercy, bring peace. Father, we pray for your grace in the Sudan and South Sudan where there is so much bloodshed and far too many other places in the world. And we ask for your mercy and for your peace. Lord, we know that you are good, that you are at work when we see it and you are at work when we don't. We declare our trust in you. And we pray all of this through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, the crucified one, the risen one, and the one who has promised to return. Amen. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 45 through 48, and then chapter 20, verses 41 through 47. And I'd like to have you stand with me as I read from the Gospel of Luke. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. And now Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 47. 
Then Jesus said to them, How is it that they say that Christ is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. This is the word of the Lord. an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue the lost you called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress for your streams of forgiveness and the shade of your rest please sing with us And with compassion for the hurting, you reached out your hand as the lame ran to meet you and the dead breathed again. You saw behind the eyes of sorrow and shared in our tears, heard the sigh of the weary, let the children draw Surely you have borne our suffering and carried our grief as you pardoned the suffering and showed grace to the thief. What boundless love, what fathomless grace you have shown us, O God of compassion. Each gospel of peace to the fields of injustice and the valleys of need to be a voice of hope and healing to answer the cries of the hungry and helpless with the mercy of Christ what boundless love what fathomless grace you have shown Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. 
rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. you are uh, a Christian, what do you think people understand about God through your life? What does your life communicate about what's important to God, about who God is, about the nature of God? And what do we as a church communicate as the people of God? What, are, what kind of message are we sending other people about who God is based on what they see in us? Now, there are people who would say, it doesn't really matter. I mean, God is God. We could never really represent him fully. People are always going to get a wrong impression. So we just can't worry about it. What's the big deal? And that might be a legitimate way to respond to it. Until you begin to read the Gospels, and one of those places where you see it is in Luke's Gospel, in the passage we read a few moments ago. In Luke 18, Jesus is, um, has sensed from the Spirit that his time is coming to an end. And he says to his disciples, it's time to go to Jerusalem. That's where everything's going to take place, and, and we need to go. And so they, they make their way toward Jerusalem. And when they get to the city, the people all give him this hero's welcome. We call it you know, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And Jesus comes into the city in, in, with all these messianic hopes and expectations. He is the ruler of God's kingdom. And the people declare him to be the great one. And Jesus rides into the city and he dismounts the donkey that he's been riding on and he goes to the temple to worship. And when he gets to the temple, everything just sort of goes crazy. Jesus goes into the temple and he finds people in there buying and selling. There are animals, there are all kinds of things. And we find out from some of the other gospel writers that Jesus is so angry with what goes on here that he takes a whip out and begins to drive the people out of the temple. He overturns the tables with money on them and he cleanses the temple. Now when we read that, you know, we're thinking, that doesn't sound like Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who who heals people. Jesus is the one who welcomes little children to sit on his lap. Jesus is love and mercy. This does not seem like Jesus. And you have to ask yourself, why is Jesus so angry? What in the world could possibly be so bad that he starts getting, and he's whipping people and turning over tables in the, the place of worship? There's a lot going on here. Well, for, for one thing, the, the, this, is, this is the week of the Passover in Jerusalem, so lots and lots of people. The city swells three, four, five times its size. And, and people are coming to the temple to sacrifice and to worship. And one of the things that you do when you come to the temple is you pay your temple tax. That's how the temple operates. Everyone pays a half shekel of temple tax. And the only monet, money you can use to pay that is the temple shekel. But, you don't, but the temple shekel is not recognized anywhere else outside of the temple. So nobody has temple shekels in their pockets. You know, you don't just carry that stuff around. It, it has no value. And so they have to exchange their money. And it, it, what starts out as a service to people, something good for them, so they, they, they come, they can exchange their money and pay the temple tax has become a means of extorting money from these Jewish pilgrims. Because the exchange rate is escalated. And every transaction carries with it what you know, we would say on the, when you see the ads on television, oh yeah, shipping and handling. You, know, the, you can buy this for $7.99, but the shipping and handling is 
And, and this is sort of what they're doing. And they are fleecing people, many of them poor people, in the name of God. People come to worship God, to do what the scriptures tell them to do, and they are being fleeced by the people who represent God. You can understand why that might upset Jesus a little bit. In addition to that, people come to sacrifice their animals. It's one of the reasons they come. It's a temple sacrifice. Some people bring lambs. Others who are very poor bring doves. And they come to sacrifice. And the Old Testament says that the only sacrifices you can bring are those that are without defect. And somebody has to decide which animals have defects and which animals don't. And so there are temple inspectors. And their job is to tell people, yep, okay, that animal's good. No, that one's got a defect. You're going to have to get another one. And you can buy animals, doves, lambs, or whatever. You can buy them all over the city. Pilgrims could even bring their own if you wanted to do that. But interestingly enough, the only animals that the inspector says are okay are the animals that you buy from the temple people. And the animals you buy from the temple representatives are anywhere from 10 to 15 times more expensive than the animals you buy anywhere else. And again, they are fleecing pilgrims, people coming to worship God, many of them poor people. They are fleecing them in the name of God. And Jesus says, whoa, not in my house. He refers to this passage in Jeremiah and he says, my house is not going to be a den of robbers. Jeremiah condemns the people of Israel in that prophecy we read because they are worshiping all kinds of false gods. They are, they are completely rejecting God. They are, they are doing much the same thing as the religious people in Jesus' day are doing. And they have created these, this place where, where thieves feel safe. The den of robbers is caves where thieves go to hide their stuff and to, and to get away from the authorities. And Jesus says, you are using my house as, as a den of thieves, as a place where you feel safe to cheat people in the name of God, and it's not going to happen anymore. And the other element of this is that the temple is divided up into sections. The innermost section is the Holy of Holies, and the high priest can only go there once a year to sacrifice, and only the high priest. And then you have a, a part of it called the, it's the court of the, of the Jewish men, and only Jewish men are allowed to, be a part, in, to enter that part of the temple. And outside of that, you have the court of Jewish women. And, and that's as far as the Jewish women can go. And outside of that, on the very exterior of the temple, you have the court of the Gentiles. And this is the place where Gentiles who are seeking Yahweh, Gentiles who want to follow God, they come and this is where they pray and they worship. They can't go any further into the temple. This is as far as they can go. This is their place because God recognizes there are going to be people, Gentiles, who have a sense of who he is and they want to come and worship him and be a part of it. So you need to set aside a place for them. But this place that is set aside for the Gentiles to worship and to pray is the very place where all of this stuff going on in the temple is taking place. It is like trying to pray in a flea market. If you've ever been to a, to a country in an open air market, you, you know the, there, there where there are animals and there are you know just a mass of people and transactions going on and, and people trying to hawk their wares and this is and all the noise and the confusion of that. Try, trying to have serious a serious time to pray and to worship God in the middle of that is virtually impossible. And yet that's the only place they have. And Jesus says, that's not what my house is about. And because of their behavior, the way they're fleecing the pilgrims, because of the way in which the, the, um, 
the Gentiles are being treated. The clear message is being sent by those who represent God that God doesn't care about people. God is willing to use people for his end and God really has no concern about anybody other than Jews who might want to come and worship him. And the view of God is warped and skewed and twisted into something that doesn't look anything like God. And here's the question for us. What are we as a church doing that might cause Christ to come in here and say, we got to get rid of that? This is sending the wrong message to people about who God is. What about this church? What about our lives? Might Christ come in and say, that has got to change? People are getting the wrong impression of who God is by what's, what by these decisions you're making, by the way you're living, by the way you're treating people, by who you are as a church. This has got to change. You see, the church can, can either be a, a catalyst for drawing people to God or we can hinder people from experiencing God. Based on our witness, based on what people see in us individually and collectively, they are going to make judgments about who God is, what's important to God. What kind of message are we sending? The reality is Christ goes to the cross to remind us, among other things, but to to help us see that God is about loving people and, and denial and sacrifice and surrender And thinking more about what others need than about what we might need. So how do we create an atmosphere in which people are are apt to experience God positively and be drawn to God? Well, I think for one thing, it's about how we act. What do we consider, how do our actions convey what's important to us? I think particularly about how we view injustice in the world. What do we do about places in the world and, and, and situations that we know are, are wrong? What do we do about it? Do we care? Do we respond? Does it make any difference to us? Dr. King said years ago during the civil rights movement that there wouldn't have been slavery for 250 years in America and there wouldn't still be segregation and and discrimination and racism if it weren't for the church. So too often the church has become an echo rather than a voice. Too often the church is the taillight behind decisions made by the Supreme Court and, and other secular institutions instead of being a headlight shining the truth into this world of darkness and injustice. And he's right. He's right. It's embarrassing when you realize how often injustice is addressed by people who are not Christians long before it's addressed by people who are Christians. And that ought to shame us. And maybe it's not about issues of of, uh, of race or segregation, but there are lots of other ways in which we do similar things. We get so wrapped up in, 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 in our political agenda that we're willing to walk over people to see it happen. We have this idea of this is right, this is the right thing, and this is the right way to do it, and this is the right way to view it. And we get so enamored with that, we don't realize that we have left this carnage of people in order to get to it. Or maybe it's saying we want to make sure we do church right. And in the process of doing church right, we trample on people. Because we have somehow come to believe that the end justifies the means. And in the kingdom of God, it simply doesn't. And it's not just things around the world. It's it's stuff right around us. As we think about people in our lives, 
and situations in our, in, around us, in our county and beyond. And, and we are doing some things and we give thanks for the good things that are happening out of our church and out of our lives. But if we're honest, do we really feel compassion? Do we really, are we really ready to act in situations and circumstances where we know there is injustice? Because when we read the, the Old Testament, it only takes a couple of minutes to read a, one of the prophets and you know God hates injustice. And I think it's, maybe it's things like um, being patient with people. Being patient with people on their journey with God. I often try to think of it this way. I want to be as patient with people in their journey with God as he is with me in my journey. And if your life is anything like mine, he is awfully patient with me and with you. There's so many times where it would be so right for him to say, that's it. But he's patient. Oswald Chambers says, our our Lord never pushes us. He always draws us. And sometimes we can get so enamored with people and so impatient with people that we are shoving them and pushing them and trying to force them to God. When what we ought to be doing is just helping to love them to God. To be so kind and compassionate and patient and caring that they see Christ in us. And a part of that is to meet people where they are. Now we want people to meet us where we are. I remember it hit me one day years ago that I was expecting people who were not Christians to act like they were Christians. And to have the same mindset and philosophy of life as people who are Christians. And it hit me, why would I think that? That doesn't make any sense. And, and I, I want to, to, to meet people where they are and, and, to, and to be patient and humble. And I heard someone say once that we we're sort of often are like rabbit hole Christians. We pop out of our Christian homes in the morning and we hold our breath and we run to work all the time. And then we run back home and we exhale and we go to our Bible study and we go home at night and we pray for the people that we've been ignoring all day. I think there's truth to that. It's being patient. It's being loving and compassionate with people. And one of the most profound things I think we can do is to be willing as often as we need to, to ask forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. Which is why it's so powerful is because it's so seldom, so seldom do we see it and hear it. And as individuals and as a church, to be willing to go to people and say, you know what, I blew it. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Because sometimes we give people the impression that we're perfect. And if you never ask forgiveness, then that's a subtle way of, of saying to people, I don't make mistakes. Well, first of all, they know we make mistakes if they spend any time with us. And so all we're doing is just promoting a spirit of arrogance. And the cross calls us to a spirit of humility. And there are many times where one of the most profound things we can do is to go to people and say, please forgive me, I blew it, I was wrong. And it can be one of the most impressive things in the world. And we don't do it because it's some strategy. We just do it because we love people and we care about people. And we want to be honest with people and with each other. And if you are still wrestling about whether you're going to follow Christ or not, if you have been hurt by the church, hurt by people who make claims to be Christian, I want to say as a representative of the church, please forgive us. Forgive us for being arrogant. Forgive us for too often talking in a condescending way. Forgive us for giving the impression that we're perfect. 
Forgive us for being unwilling to admit our failings. Forgive us for the ways in which we have created a false image of who God is because of the way we act and what we say. Forgive us that we have given the impression sometimes that the church is more of a country club than a hospital. You know, a country club is, is intended for people who, who uh, are, are in. Country club is, is about classes. You know, you have the people who are served and you have the people who serve them. The people who are served, they go through the front door. The people who serve them, they sneak in the back. Country clubs are all about, clubs in general, are all about not just getting people together of like-mindedness, but they're also about keeping people out that we don't want in. And so we, country clubs are based on people who have the resources, they have the connections, they have the power, they have the ability to, to get in, to be a part of the in group. They know the secret code. They know the password. They've got the key. And you don't. And too often the church has given the impression that that's what we are. And it is wrong. It's heresy. When I read the scriptures, I hear Jesus saying... I have come for people who realize they are sick and they want help. My kingdom is about establishing this, this hospital for, to heal people. And that's what we want to be. Hospitals are about people who are sick. It's not about classes. It's about people who are ill and need help. And people in hospitals are at different stages. Some people are in the emergency room. Some people in the operating room. Some people in ICU. Some people in a step-down unit. Some people in a regular room. Some people have been healed enough that they can help other people in their healing process. But every single person in a hospital is still susceptible to illness. And in the church, we all have to stay connected to the great physician or we are in trouble. It's not a place for people who are perfect. It's simply a place for people who realize how much we need Jesus. And that's what we want the church to be. As we think about our witness, as we think about the impression that we are giving people about who God is, what are they seeing? What image are they creating about what's important to God? About how God works and operates and how God feels about them, about us. Years ago, uh, 20 or so years ago, when you know, the Promise Keepers was a, a big movement in the church. These were gatherings of men who uh, would get together many times in big stadiums to uh, worship, to pray, to, to learn, to be challenged. And it pretty much focused on being better followers of Christ, being better husbands or fathers or friends. And there were some powerful things that came out of the movement. And I read about some guys who were, who were in seminary in Chicago suburbs and went, wanted to go to, to an event at Soldier Field in downtown Chicago. I mean, these are big events, 40, 50, 60,000 people would show up. And there were, there were no assigned seats, so they, were, they left early and they wanted because they wanted to get a really good seat. And they decided that the way to get there quickest would be not to take the train, but to take a taxi. And so these six guys piled into this taxi and took off. And they were excited. They said they probably drove the cab driver nuts with all their talking and, and jabbering and, you know, their excitement. And... As they got closer to the stadium, the traffic increased until they came to the point where they were five, six, seven blocks away from Soldier Field and they were stuck in traffic. And they were trying to figure out what to do because they could envision in their minds that the good seats were, were quickly evaporating. 
And they decided that they would pay the driver, hop out, and run the rest of the way to Soldier Field. And then one of the guys said, wait a minute. If we do that, then we're going to leave this cab driver stuck in traffic. We asked him to drive us to Soldier Field, so he's expecting a much bigger fare than we're giving him now. And he has very little chance to pick up another ride stuck here in traffic. I think we should stay, see this thing through, and, and fulfill the commitment we made to him when we got in this cab. It's his livelihood. And they all looked at each other and said, if we hadn't even thought about that, you're right. And so they stayed, and they didn't get a very good seat at the stadium. And they talked with this guy and made friends with him. Who knows what came out of that in his life. But they were sure that in that moment, they made a decision that represented who God was and what Jesus would do, caring about people in kind of small ways, but important ways. People view God through the lens of our lives, individually and corporately. What do they see? Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ, for caring enough about the world and the church to chastise us when we need it, to encourage us, Help us, Father, to to be people who represent you like Jesus does. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together. There is an everlasting kindness you lavished on us when the radiance of heaven came to rescue Called the sheep without a shepherd to leave their distress. For your streams of forgiveness and the shade of your rest. And with compassion for the hurting, you reached out your hand as the lame ran to meet you and the dead breathed saw behind the eyes of sorrow and shared in our tears heard the sigh of the weary let the children draw
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.